This podcast was recorded and produced on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Hi, this is Amir Rahman. You're listening to episode two of Vice's election podcast for 2016. On today's episode, we talk about why political candidates should be very careful about how publicly they complain about pizza delivery, an agile, innovative economy and what that even means, how surprisingly nice Darren Hinch smells close up, and Vice host Madison will be out in the wild again at a psychic convention trying to predict the winner of this year's election. This last week in the news, we've seen scare campaigns about the greening of labor, politicians being outed for potential electoral fraud based on their pizza habits, the Prime Minister admitting Australia was invaded, and the possible return of Tony Abbott. Of course, the biggest story this week was the attack on a gay nightclub in Orlando, Florida, where 50 people were tragically murdered. Our guests today are editor and writer Rouge Amedi. Hey. Secretary of the Australian Sex Party, Nevna Spirovska. Zdravo. Astronomer and astrophysicist from Swinburne <laughs> University, Alan Duffy. I wish I was an astronaut, but no, thank you for that. <laughs> Welcome to the number 13 podcast in Australia, according to the iTunes charts. Thank you to uh, all Vice staff who went on there and gave it a five-star review. <laughs> <laughs> So just following our biggest story of the week, which is the attacks in Orlando, uh, Donald Trump came out immediately claiming that it proved he was right when he called for a total ban on Muslim immigration to the US. And our own red-headed intellectual Pauline Hansen also leapt on it, uh, claiming that we need to stop Muslim migration to Australia. Uh, the best quote from that was, the government does not want to acknowledge that this is through terrorism, ISIL, Muslims, you name it. And then she went on to say that we have laws against bringing dangerous dogs like pit bulls, uh, into Australia, we have laws against bringing certain toys into Australia. Hence, no more Muslim refugees, because we all know oh, Muslim wow. refugees are just like BB guns, right? I think that a lot of the conversation is just being um, overturned and completely monopolized, and it's just absolutely disgusting because really the reason that we have this violence is because of institutionalized homophobia and transphobia all across um, every you know, facet of society. And he, like, the attacker is a product of that. He's a product of all of the policies that have been espoused by most of the candidates throughout that political race, and even in Australia. And that's what he is. And it's not about an external threat. It's our internalized issues and our sense of violence that we're enacting. And it's just, I, I think I've really been hit hard by how absolutely abhorrent this has been and how much they've just used it as a way to further Islamophobia and it just hurts, really. Absolutely, and the political response has been deeply upsetting and so uninspiring to apply this crime that everyone feels, in the words of Malcolm Turnbull, it doesn't apply just to everyone who's feeling it, it applies to particular communities which they failed to highlight in their responses. And that is an absolute tragedy. Yeah, look, and, and the, the thing that shocked me on the day, even, even more than the event, was that it could somehow be made worse. And Trump managed it. Like, he is so abhorrent. It just it is, it is terrifying. But also Turnbull that, didn't, yeah. it, like, as you said, Turnbull did not do well whatsoever. He said that this was an attack on all of us. No, it wasn't. It was an attack on LGBTIQA plus people. Sure. And they have a very specific lived experience and constantly deal with violence of every mm. shape and form every day. But this was just like a really huge, giant, um, like an explosion really um, yeah. 
for lack of a better word. And yeah, and I think that's what really hurts that, you know, we've got a government that is, um, I don't know, like succumbing to really conservative ideals and attacking things like safe schools and not providing proper health care and services and um, systems to support LGBTIQA people and further I don't know, isolating them in our society and then it's an attack on all of us. No, it's not. No, not well, yet. I don't know if you heard Turnbull's other comments, which are actually very close to Hanson and Trump's comments, because uh, in one of his statements, he said, we stand in solidarity with the people of the United States as they stand up to this terrorist, violent, head-filled attack. And then he says, and we stand up to whether it is in the skies above Syria and Iraq, in Afghanistan, or on our borders. So oh, wow. absolutely did not miss a chance to basically meld this entire thing together with the refugee debate, uh, which, I mean, I feel like it kind of fell through the cracks, like that wasn't the main thing that got attention, but, I mean, pretty low. It's very much a continuation of their um, tactics, really. Um, if you can um, reinforce your uh, us against them mentality, you will do it. And that's, like, it's a perfect opportunity. It's 101 liberal um, tactics. I was originally a refugee from Iraq. I'm Kurdish. And I think that our usual conversation is to show um, success stories because I work with Road to Refuge. I may be a success story because here I am speaking on this platform, I'm quite comfortable, but I don't think that the success story should be the focus. I think it should just be the primary focus is to help people seek safety and to provide them that safety. But um, that's why I work in refugee advocacy because it's just very, very close to home. But even it's my role and responsibility as an Australian now to to look out for those issues. It's not even more than just liberal, it's just, it's just base uh, demagoguery and, and a political effort to take whatever is political capital from that tragedy, right? There, there are many facets to this tragedy, but the one that's been used is, you know, by Which Trump. Which means Trump, they don't really is, is care. Because when no. we have, like, violent situations or, you know, horrible circumstances and people, a lot of people pass away and everything, the government says, stop everything. Yeah. This is not a political situation. This is humanity. We're hurting. Let's not talk about politics. But in this case, it was a perfect time to talk about politics and to reinforce their policies. So, in, in fact, they don't really care. And um, to militarise grief, yeah. to try and align those two things together is just fucking pathetic. Yeah. I mean, this is, to me, it was just like such an echo of 2001 where the Tampa crisis happened, you know, two months before 9-11. And really since then, like, this has been not only, I think, like the Liberal Party playbook of, you know, militarised border protection and, you know, kind of equating refugees with terrorism, but also, you know, that election was when, you know, the ALP basically said nothing and kind of went along with the, with the game plan. And... Yeah. Like 15 years later, it's exactly the same thing. And very, we're all very well conditioned to deal with that. We're very well conditioned to follow that protocol. And I think that um, in my w line of work and advocacy with refugees and asylum seekers and people seeking safety, if you engage with that debate in any way or even use the terms asylum seeker, boat people, refugees, etc., you will reinforce that discourse. And that's really, really dangerous. But it's because in 2001, like you said, we instantly made a pact with each other that that was the position that we would take and it's super hard to break through that, definitely. 
So what struck me, um, taking it back, I guess, to, to, the, to the violence of Orlando, my hope was that at the very least in America, it might prompt some kind of rational, in any way sane debate about gun control. And the exact opposite seems to be happening now. It is, it is just terrifying that the um, special interest or lobbying can do, can seemingly defeat reality when you think this has to be a no-brain. Like, how could you have this not even be debated anymore? Uh, you can't even regulate guns, really. Yeah. Like, it's, we're not, it, you can't even, you can't propose that you ban guns in any shape or form because of the Second Amendment. But even worse is that you, you can't really regulate. In that environment, you just can't. You can't propose. Obama did mention that his policy position is to regulate them, even prevent people with criminal records from accessing weapons. And even then, it's too hard. And there's just too many levels and obstructions. Or, or someone on a terrorist watch list. Yeah, on the terrorist Apparently watch list. Apparently, that's too I mean, that's so. One thing that was terrifying was, I think it was just a week before there was a clip going around Facebook that Obama had responded to a question by an NRA supporter and had basically said, I know that right now, and this is a week before this event, I know right now there are people in this country who are on ISIS, ISIL websites that I can ban from flying, they're on the no-fly list, but I, but I can't from stop them from getting an automatic machine gun and Look what happens. It's just the the But also, like situ- that being said, he he's not connected to ISIS or ISIL no, or Daesh. No. He's not like that. It's not. Well, look he was what under happened. investigation yes. twice by the FBI, right? Yeah, he's also under investigation for domestic violence. Yeah. Like he's got a lot of history. I don't think that he's connected to that. I think that he has a lot of internalized homophobia, sure. um, mental health issues. Uh, was completely isolated. A very violent man, and he just went out and caused absolute inhumane destruction. But I think that those are two different issues and we can't conflate them because otherwise we'll start to reinforce that idea that Islam or radical Islam is, you know, the main focus here and it's not. It's homophobia and transphobia. Politics in the wild (gasps) with Madison. Elections, that brief window once every three years when the world outside Twitter cares about politics. We came to the Melbourne Psychic Convention to try and find the answer to the question everyone wants to know, who is going to win? I like your uh, suspenders, they're very cool. Well thank you because I used to be a medium but now I'm an extra large. So you are going to do a bit of a reading for us around Bill Shorten and Malcolm Turnbull's birthdays. So Malcolm Turnbull's a number eight, which is all about authority. Malcolm, it's not looking good for him. It's definitely not. He pretty much needs a miracle to make the 2nd of July work for him. Bill Shorten. One and two is three and that's a five. 1967 adds up to 23. So we're looking at a new home for him coming up. A new home like Kirribilli House. So now we're just going into social media and the the best stories to come out of social I want to go back to that Pauline Hanson video because I just want to give a shout out to <laughs> Osman Faruqi for the best comment on Facebook. I don't know how he managed to get in as the first commenter and he just wrote he just wrote delete your account, which was the best <laughs> the best response to that video. My sec my second favorite story was uh, was about the liberal candidate for McEwen. Uh, Chris German. Do you guys know this story? Amazing. So Chris German has kind of been caught out for not living where he claims to have lived. 
Um, the address that he registered for the electorate that he's running in is kind of like an empty an empty property. Mm -hmm. and no, it's, it's not a house, it's just an empty bit of grass. Yeah, it's, right. it's like a plot of land. Plot of land. And no so it's not, not a house, it's a home. <laughs> does, he, does he have this like campaign built board like, like just on a sign just a campaign board so he, out the front? He got caught yeah, out. but it's a greens one, right? <laughs> <laughs> he got caught out because, basically because he used his social media account to complain to Domino's Pizza. Uh, and a bunch of other food outlets about yeah. the delivery and, and, and opening hours. So, Mate, Domino's. So, so in 2013, he posted a message to Domino's Pizza on Facebook saying, why does your Paran store suggest on its Google results, proffered by you, that it's open until 1 a.m. on a Thursday night <laughs> when evidently it closes at midnight? Had I known, I would have made my order quicker, but I tend to rely on your own times being correct. Instead, I sit here hungry, What's the deal? <laughs> Look, we've all been there. And like, we're all asking that question. Yeah. yeah what is the deal? Yeah. Potential what electoral problem. I understand why he's running for politics. He's tackling the big issues. And Absolutely. I, I, I respect that. Things that he's mean, down with the people. Things he knows. That, things that mean and I've been there people. so many times. So many times I've been like, where can I go and eat at 1 a.m. after getting home from work? This is not, the, this is not the end of it. <laughs> go on. In 2014, he complained about lying staff at a local restaurant called Focaccia. <laughs> He said, I arrived 9.38 this evening, only to be greeted by a closed sign on the door. The only problem with that, Focaccia closes at 10 p.m. And the following month again, he sent a message to I Domino's. I love how it's all the same issue. Another message to Domino's complaining that he would not, no, he could not order Wagyu pizza from the St. Kilda store. Well, this is a great form of direct, direct democracy. I mean, so many times we have felt cheated by organisations, by political entities, and this is the way that he's reaching out to them. Except he's such a fucking idiot that he doesn't <laughs> understand political administration 101, which is either being a silent elector or having your address there. So, like, is he? why does he have that plot of land? This is all very interesting, but really I want to know, where is he, actually? He's where Probably the Domino's is. <laughs> If the, if the trail of pizza comes as anything to go a by, a chuck lava cake is all I'm saying because that I've is got a some vouchers in my bag. We'll Thanks. go get some. Lesser. I mean, nothing says in touch with people more than complaining about the unavailability of Wagyu. But also, everyone knows Wagyu that pizza. Google Times are always incorrect. Like, and Google Maps. I mean, like, come on, mate. where is this studio actually? Where are we right now? So, how serious though? I mean, I, I love this, by the way. I mean, the story is amazing. But actually, how serious is this oh. electoral fraud? Tiny. Tiny. I mean, really? compared to some of the others. Did you just replay that sentence? Fraud? How serious is electoral fraud? <laughs> Tiny. I mean, on the scale of this to you know, other things that we're going to be lying about later. <laughs> Giving cash to turtles. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's, it's no pink bats. Okay, yeah, it's yeah. a small furry. Oh, yeah. All right. No pink bats. <laughs> uh, did you guys see Bob Catter's election ad? Yes. Fox. Wow. Amazing. Yes. For, just for people who haven't seen it, uh, it's. It's basically two guys in uh, ALP and LNP t-shirts mm -hmm. with stockings over their faces, putting up a sign, Australia for sale, and then Bob Catter comes and kicks down the sign, and then he crosses out the sign, and finally, he just shoots the two guys and uh, blows out the smoke on his gun. Yeah. And also, any the creepy smile, smile it's like, like, it's not even a smile, like, it kind of looks like he's it's hurting a lot, yeah. like, his yeah. face. Yeah, it's yeah. like a, it's like a creepy robot that's learned how to mimic. Like I get it, he's fearing neoliberal policies, but also I mean, he's your vote. Yeah, we, finally he's doing something. Thank about you so it. much. But yeah. it's like tied with racism and like homophobia and murdering people. 
and the know, timing. Just the, the I think the timing makes a bad idea. And it is, by the way, at any time to mimic shooting other people. That yeah, is there's a never a good time to election put out that. Just do that just release. Full yeah. stop bad. But he doesn't do read the news, Orlando. don't you know? He doesn't read the news. Oh, so he doesn't watch the news. So on that interview is ridiculous. On some morning show, was it Kochi? Yeah, Kochi said, you didn't know there was a shooting in Orlando. And Bob Catter said, I repeat to you that I get in every night at midnight, and with all due respect, I watch a movie if I switch the television on. Not that I do, Mr. Catter replied. I don't even know what that means. Uh, I do not read the newspapers, haven't read the newspapers in ages, but that's not the issue. Yeah, look. Did he order a Domino's? Is he going to snuck in? Late ordering yeah, yeah don't, don't midnight, watch a movie. Right? Just order some Domino's. Make sure timing's right. Also, uh, a Liberal candidate quit after news came out that he owned, uh, owns a brothel in Frankston. I don't understand why that's a problem. Like, sex work is real work. You he's know, a small long, business owner. Small he's business a successful owner. small business owner. As long as his employees are getting paid properly, provided good conditions. Yeah. You know, maybe 1am he can order a few rounds of Domino's. <laughs> like... But this continues a, a liberal tradition. In the 2014 state election, a candidate was dismissed for having connections to a porn star. And I'm not sure what the issue is, but they're clearly with the wrong party. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I don't know if you know this, but he's the new owner of the brothel. Under the previous owner, sex workers were found trapped in a wall. Oh. What? Sorry to bring the mood down, guys. But <laughs> well, this is why we need to legalize sex, sex work, work so exactly. we can provide proper services and assistance to, you know, people who are working in the industry okay. and proper protection. So there we go. It's a work safe situation. Yeah, and Nevena, you ran for this seat in 2013? I did. I mean, it wasn't my favorite seat in the world, but I went there and I made an absolute crack of it. Did you buy a plot of land for No, no, no. I just used my home address, yeah. uh, which is not in the actual electorate. So should anyone want to look me up, there's full political disclosure. Uh, it's a particularly conservative seat. It starts at Broadmeadows and then continues beyond. And I can't imagine that the electorate would have turned on him. I think they would have seen a successful, legitimate small business earner and the Liberal Party just really needs to try and bring itself, maybe not the 21st century, but let's try and drag it at least to the 20th, yeah. where it can accept as that... As close as we can we get to the 21st. Maybe during, like, the 80s, yeah. you know, um, like, big MAD sort of style. Exactly. Yeah. So I just find it interesting that we had uh, Sfini forgetting that he owned a house... And this guy forgot. Forgetting he owned a brothel. This campaign is really revealing a lot of memory issues of our politicians. Wait, he, he, <laughs> he claims that he doesn't own it. He, he can't explain why the business is registered to his address. Oh, wow. that happens to everyone. I everyone's had a brothel accidentally you registered there. Yeah. Monday morning. Everything. Oh, man, I bought a brothel. Big weekend. How did that happen? Yeah, big weekend. Yeah. Bill Shorten, one on one with Tony Jones getting backed into a corner and having to admit that he's open to talking about treaty. Did you guys see the actual yeah. video of this? No. So uh, Bill Shorten was asked, or he's doing a one-on-one -on -one, uh, with Tony Jones, a special Q&A in front of an audience. Um, uh, an Aboriginal man in the audience asks him about uh, treaty uh, and constitutional recognition. Bill kind of fumbles through some constitutional recognition kind of thing. And then he goes into like, yeah, I'm open after constitutional recognition to talks about some other stuff. And then Tony says, like, treaty. And then Bill Shorten actually had some kind of weird physical reaction where he started <laughs> scratching his face and was like, yeah. 
And then Tony Jones was like, really? And then Bill Shorten got upset where he's like, oh, I think you're surprised to hear me say yes. And Tony Jones was like, yeah, I, I actually am. Yeah, because it's not your policy. It's absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. And in fact, he, he backflipped on it within 24 hours and was like, well, like, we'll talk about stuff. And in the same conversation, uh, the question of invasion came up and Bill tried to do a very clever dance where he was asked, you know, was Australia invaded? And he was like, well, if I was Aboriginal, I'd think so. And then Tony Jones said, well, what if you were you? What would you think? <laughs> you and, do you, Bill. Yeah, that's right. And then so, He and doesn't it, know how to do himself. That's the problem. And then Bill tried to pull a rabbit out of the hat by saying, well, my ancestors were convicts, so they didn't have a choice. A lot of white people in the audience clapped because they were like, phew, never thought of that one before. <laughs> oh no! And then, I can't believe Bill gave them more ammo. And then the best part is that Barnaby Joyce ran with this line the next day where he was like, invasion? Well, you can't be an invader if you were brought here by force. Maybe if there was a military. And then a lot of people tweeted, yeah, Barnaby, there was a military. <laughs> They're the ones who brought the convicts. Yep. But I think, you know, you know you've done something wrong if Barnaby Joyce runs with your runs with your line, right? Well, especially if you're Labour. Yeah. If you're anyone, <laughs> if I mean, you're anyone in the world, then Barnaby Joyce repeats something that you said with confidence. I think that would be the lowest point in my life to give Barnaby <laughs> Joyce a one-liner. Endorse you. En endorse my words. So Turnbull also then conceded that Australia was invaded. So now we have a bizarre situation where, like, both leaders are trying to out-progressive each other on, like, some technical language while still Complete, both completely, essentially blocking any any idea of treaty post. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's easy to out progressive each other on language. Um, I think like language does matter. I'm a strong believer in that. Mm. But because you know they don't have to have the responsibility of enacting anything, so they can say whatever they want. So Turnbull is putting his leather jacket on and uh, getting down with the progressives. That's and you can just does. see Bill picking up the fedora and just putting it on his head <laughs> and then just hoping that we forget about whatever the fuck just happened because, I mean, during this election campaign, the memes are flying, the stories are coming in and I've already forgotten what we've talked about. So that's just like political discourse condensed down into like a protein bar that eventually just gets shut out at the end. Or one of those balls, the little coconut balls. Oh, they're delicious yeah. though. Delightful. I can't see Barnaby Joyce using either of these lines. <laughs> I can see him using all of these. <laughs> I expect Barnaby Joyce to start shitting out protein bars tomorrow. <laughs> in relation to the NBN or something. Oh God, NBN. Um, but yeah, speaking of this fake progressive, I don't know if people heard that um, Malcolm Turnbull actually hosted a Ramadan dinner last I night did. at Kirribilli House. I wanted to bring this up. This was something... I thought you were going to be like, I did. I attended. <laughs> no, no, my friend Yasmin did. It was sick. She posted this on Instagram. Yeah. It was like, Yasmin, good work. Um, on the table, Waleed, uh, Susan, uh, Karen. Dream I, I don't, don't know. Dream. I love her. Um, I don't know who else is on the table, I'm afraid. I didn't see the, the shot, but Yasmin's there. And um, it was the first, first time, Iftar, the end of Ramadan celebration. And that was a big moment. That was a that was a grown-up moment. At least the optics of it, the, the image. Well, I mean, within three days of him trying to call refugees terrorists yeah. in the same election campaign that he's backed Peter Dutton's comments again. Yeah. Like this is, you know, this is progressive Malcolm trying to back the right wing of his own party, mm -hmm. still trying to be the cool guy in the leather jacket. Like to me, it was just, you know, like it was trying to make nice for the bad things that have been said. But uh, and you know, and like a great. And PR what an stunt awkward like iftar. Like I have to say. Like, 
a white guy hosting if not very good. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to put it out there. Well, it's going to be difficult until you have, say, a Muslim prime minister to be able to host at Kiravili Heights, right? Like, it's a, but it's a it's significant... I'm just significant. saying in terms of food. It's I'm just, just going to be difficult when you're also <laughs> you hosting people in, like, detention camps. As well. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of Muslims who didn't get invited. <laughs> yeah, exactly. God, that would be so good. Oh, invite everyone from Nauru and Manus. And then what, send them back afterwards? No, 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 just everyone over my house. Okay. We'll yeah, have cool. it done. Yeah. Big sleepover at Kiravili, yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> So Malcolm Turnbull speaks at length about an innovative, agile economy. What does this actually mean and how is the government facilitating this ideas boom? The big challenge Australia has right now is that we do world-class research. And world-class racism. And world-class racism. Top notch. We are, we are, you know, duly recognised around the world for both <laughs> research and racism, unfortunately. The world-class research that Australia undertakes uh, is great, but we are terrible at translating that into direct economic benefits, new products, new technologies. We do it, we just don't do it very well. And by some measures, we're either the worst or the second worst in all you know, major developed economies to actually translate research into Meaning, Meaning what, we stack up all these great ideas yeah. and they don't translate into... So there are no startups, yeah. there's no environment that's conducive to that growth. That's right. So, so our startups, we have a, re, what's called a very shallow um, investment pool. So, yeah. uh, so venture capitalists, there's essentially if you want to make it big, the reality is unless, unless some exceptions like Atlassian, the team at Atlassian, uh, you go to the States. So Turnbull is, uh, came in with this idea to um, create the ideas boom that would see funding and it was something of the order 1.1 billion dollars for the National Innovation Science Agenda, NISA. And some of that is going to trying to bridge the gap between ideas and final products, right? And there's this thing called the valley of death, where basically you can sit in your garage with just a couple of people, get your idea, begin to build it, and then when you want to get serious about it, there's just no one there to help you fund it. And then when it's you get to- It's the story of my life. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty like dramatic language. or like TV yeah. pitch I've ever written. <laughs> just goes and <laughs> You take your idea, you run with it, you, you're bankrupt at the end. In America, that's fine. All right, start again. And your second time, you're statistically more likely to make a success of it, because you've learned. In Australia, it's like, no, that was your chance. And now you are demonized. And you wouldn't be able to run for political office if that was the case as well. Yeah. If you have any kind of bankruptcy to your record. No way. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, man. So I can't invest. I'm sorry. I know you came here with some great <laughs> ideas, but... Wow. He has great ideas. He has his great ideas. <laughs> no, no, they're terrible. Yeah. <laughs> they, they all belong in the Valley of Death. Yeah. So the CSIRO is a, is a slightly sort of separate issue. Uh, CSIRO does some incredible science, pure blue sky research, astronomy. The re one of the reasons we're the best in the world, or one of the best in the world, is because CSR has been there for decades working on radio astronomy and we're building the largest telescope. That really telescope. helps you as an astronaut. Yeah. As an astronaut, that's <laughs> right, you're yeah. floating through space. Um, I really hope we have that mis-identification -like <laughs> at start because otherwise that You should no just sense. call yourself yeah. that. Who, how is anyone going to challenge you when you say you're an astronaut? <laughs> no, you're not. Why not? You've never no. seen you in space. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you should totally introduce yourself as that. Yeah. Um, so look, so there's I'm a... so angry. <laughs> Why are you lying to us? How dare anyone suggest you're not an astronaut? Uh, so look, we have this... Um, we have this uh, bit of a... bit of a hard uh, last few years in, in 
science, certain things have been funded, certain things have done very well, the Square Kilometer Ray, which full disclosure, um, I'm a huge fan of as an astronomer slash astronaut. <laughs> that is, um, that level of funding is, is, has been sustained. Other things have taken a hit. CSR has reprioritized away from climate um, change monitoring, and they want to move that into mitigation. Mm -hmm. um, I would argue to know how to mitigate, you would have to have know what's going to happen. And as one of the richest nations in the Southern Hemisphere, we have a sort of duty of care for half of the world to, to keep monitoring. But anyways. Do we have the human capital to, to help with that boost? Do we have the, because, you know, STEM, like the STEM area is, I don't know, I feel like relative to the rest of the world, it's quite lackluster in Australia. And there's very few women, for example. So do for we have sure. the human capital and have we suffered too much brain drain in the last couple of decades for us to create that momentum? We, we definitely have the human capital. Uh, there is a brain drain. We, we do lose a lot of our best and brightest moving to the States and I hope is one day they come back and from that experience. Come back. Because um, what we're we doing as a country, just waiting for a lot of people to <laughs> come back. Come, yeah. <laughs> like parents. Like our actors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we have I mean, Russell Crowe is just in Sydney, man. He's cool. The one guy yeah. <laughs> comes back to, to own football teams Thanks or rugby us. teams or whatever yeah. he does. I don't know. I kind of, yeah. I got a soft spot for Russell Crowe. I don't know. Is that right? <laughs> well, you've yeah. exposed yourself. Oh my I know. Goodness. I'm just going to go on the line there. Can on we this cut one. this? Uh, <laughs> edit that out. Politics in the Wild <gasps> with Madison. Can you tell us anything about what happened to Harold Holt? I've almost seen, seen the image of him near the water. He's there and then he's not there. We all know he's a good swimmer, so how he ended up that way, even with rips and everything else, if you're a good swimmer, you know how to get past rips. Something's missing. Something isn't ringing true. So if Malcolm Turnbull does win, is he going to be a good Prime Minister? That's what I'm asking in the cards. I think that he is. He's going he's gonna to be playing his own tune. Oh, because there's someone playing a piano on this card? I actually don't think by just by doing this that he's got anything to worry about. Do you get a sense from me that I have ever been a powerful leader? I don't actually get that, but I do find you actually have leadership material now. Andrea, I've just been told that I have leadership potential. Yeah. So, OK, we've got the cards here and you're going to draw. Yep. Turn it over. No. No, I can't be Prime Minister. No. <laughs> So now it's time for Awkward Guest, where we uh, invite a random person onto the set. Hey Henry, thanks for joining us. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you here. What do you do day by day? Tell us. I have two different jobs. One of them is a couple of doors down from the vice office at a recycled timber furniture place. Make furniture there. And the other one I work for the Australian Maritime Safety Authority as a search and rescue pilot. So a search and oh, rescue wow. pilot? One of yours. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an astronaut. He does expeditions in space. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's closer to being an astronaut than me. You guys me, have right. so much in common. And who are you voting for selection? Oh. Uh, I'm not enrolled to vote, so I won't be voting for anyone. Why, why aren't you enrolled? Um, because I feel, I've always felt that it won't make much of a change. One person out of many, which is a kind of a cop-out, but 
also stand your ground, stand your ground, Henry. Don't, but also very realistic. Have you heard collectivisation? I have. I have. Yeah. He's thought about this. Yeah. No. So do you get interrogated by a lot of people and deal with a lot of vitriol for not being a voter? My mother. She she doesn't like it very much. Yeah. But she she votes in a way that I would disagree with anyway. So. Um, perhaps my vote would only cancel hers out, which is really... Neutrality. No. Can't we hope for that? It's possibly the most power you'd ever have against Two your wrongs, own mother. Two oh baby, mm. don't yeah, make That'd be right. nice, yeah. Um, no, apart, apart from that, not really. I, uh, yeah, I, I feel as though uh, the right to vote is a very important thing. However, I don't feel it is a responsibility to vote. Um, if, although legally it is, I concede that point. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, civil duty. <laughs> not trying to get that $50 fine. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll, I'll have to, yeah, maybe someday. How are but, you politically um, active? Are you politically active? Um, or are you generally not beyond, apathetic? No, certainly not apathetic. But, uh, look, as I was saying, I just feel as though my vote's not going to make an enormous amount of difference because in our current environment, there are really only two parties that are going to um, form a government and either of those parties have policies that I'm either not interested in or feel will not, will not change my life very much. What are the things that you care about that you think you wouldn't be able to affect by voting? Uh, well, a lot of policy. Um, the same that uh, I suppose most people of our generation are you know, kind of worried about. Uh, environmental policy is something that's quite important, but I think most, most of the politicking that is done about it in you know, mainstream parties is ineffective. I don't, I don't think, I think they talk a lot, but they're actually not going to do anything about it because the reality is that I think it would be detrimental to the economy to do anything huge about it and no political party will stand up and say they want to do that. Also, I think marriage equality is something that should be, um, should be addressed quickly. Uh, I don't think, uh, I, I don't think it's something that uh, is as big a deal as is made out instigating the actual change. It, it seems to be, you know, people are talking about how how difficult it would be and how we have to focus on other things. I can't see that it would be that difficult. It, it didn't seem that difficult in the States. It was, it was just passed kind of without referendum or without anything else. Um, asylum seeker policy, I think, is uh, largely disgusting by, by both parties um, or both major parties. Which is why if I did have to vote, I think, to be honest, that would be a larger policy that would, well, not policy, but issue that would, would swing my vote. Um, and people feel un unconnected to politics. I, I, I don't feel as if I voted, any of those things would change. So as we heard from Henry, he thinks there's only two parties in control, but we know that minor parties have often played, you know, major roles in politics, and recent polls are showing that, you know, they're, they're bound to again. Uh, Nevna. So in the last federal election, around 25% of Australians voted for a minor party. There's many reasons for this. We generally vote in the lower house for the government that we want to see. And as Henry reflected, this can be an immensely frustrating experience where we see two pieces of white bread just kind of just like merging closer and closer until you just drop him on the phone and say, okay, fuck that. There's many other parts of the political system that we can engage in. And henceforth, we have minor parties or the major minor, as the sex party likes to be known. <laughs> Not only because of electoral success <laughs> that has happened, but also we generally have a larger, broader policy base than something that started like the Shooters and Fishers Party, which are really 
gunning for firearm reform, which is just absolutely not necessary in this and country. fishing for votes. Yeah, fishing for votes. They're casting the line out. You really practice that, don't you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they worked on this before. Yeah. Actually, yeah. And so what we see now, especially with the last federal parliament, is a lot of misunderstanding about what the crossbench can do, but also a lot of benefit if we transfer that to the state level where we currently have the Vote One Local Jobs, a sex party representative, someone from the Democratic Labor Party, two shooters and fishers. So we have five crossbench that has been able to work quite successfully in some cases with the government to get some incredible reform through. So is this really positive change? And also the government has its own mandate. These minor parties can push the government in different directions and that's a really good thing because they may not want to talk about voluntary euthanasia. They may not want to talk about legalising cannabis. But if you have people there pushing them just kind of say, come on cunts, let's go. Come on, <laughs> move it. And then, and if you can engage them successfully, we can have amazing political reform. That's why I really love minor parties. That and I work for one. <laughs> I endorse this message. <laughs> so major parties are right to be scared of and wary of the influence and ability for minor parties to actually shake up the agenda. Like it's, it's a real thing. So much so that they just legislated against it. We have just passed in the last couple of months the greatest Senate voting reform, the greatest change rather, in 30 years. And we rushed that through. That was uh, the Liberal and the Greens working together, coming off the back of a committee that was Labor, Liberal, Greens. So there was no minor party input into it. So, well, I, like, I didn't know that the Greens basically collaborated mm. to push that through. I mean, Gre the Greens, as the most successful minor, minor party, party, will be watching their own backs, right? Like, they're trying to shore up their own, their own position. They have been able to become the third major party, in my opinion using that path and have now essentially closed, the closed the door behind them, meaning that this is the last election unless somehow everyone can triple their primary vote, maybe by paying people like Henry to ever have a shot at being involved in federal Senate. I mean, you're out there talking to people, like what percentage of people would you say actually have any clue that this change is happening, what it means? Like people wouldn't have even understood the original method of voting. I'm still wrapping my head around it and having read the fucking boring piece of paper that it was written on, it's really complicated and it ain't sexy and it's really difficult to sell this to people as an idea throughout the most boring, treacherous winter campaign that we've ever had. And it hasn't really come up except for the flashpoint in which it occurred, which was perhaps the most interesting part of this election, you know, going into a double dissolution, getting rid of Tony Abbott all of that momentum leading up to it and then it is just fallen flat. It's really difficult to convey this in a manner that people aren't going to look back to in maybe 20 years later and say, shit, is that what happened? Yeah. Um, I did want to ask you, like, like, what's it like being in a minor party, you know, knowing that, I mean, now possibly it's even more rigged than it was before, but like, yeah, like what motivates people to get out there and campaign knowing that, I mean, the battle for you is like, so much tougher and so much further uphill. It's kind of, I was thinking about this as I was coming here today and the vision that came to my head was sitting at the kids table, looking over at the adults <laughs> table and you know, you've got a paper plate the kids table. and maybe you've got some shitty leftover cutlery in a plastic cup and you look over and you think, one day 
I could have that. I could have a glass of wine. I could have, you know, <laughs> porcelain plates. There is a great motivation. And then one of the grown-ups just gets up and closes the door. door. And <laughs> and <laughs> no kids allowed. No, no, no yeah, kids the young allowed. hip like auntie or uncle. Exactly. And you just want to listen to them talk. Mm. That we have had, uh, our party has had success in state and had these reforms not come through, we would have had a very damn good shot at being a part of the federal parliament. Having the motivation that I do believe in the policies and seeing the candidate and knowing the candidate, that's what motivates me to get my ass out of bed, you know, to go to a fucking train station where a lot of the time people are like, six years, please, oh, where's the party? <laughs> but if that's just a conversation that needs to be had with them, a lot of the time you can talk to people on this individual level and you can see damn good policies potentially given a place in this country. All governments have capitalised on just the notion of a minor party. The fact that you are a minor party can be used against you because clearly you're fringe, right? Like you don't have the backing of, you know, close to, you know, 40 or 50 percent of the, of the public. And there's definitely higher profile minor parties that have been used to basically discredit everyone. Yeah. Um, but who are we looking at getting in this time around? Just well, based, on, based on polls. Well, I'll tell you the most important poll there is. Sportsbet um, have just put in Darren Hinch as a very <laughs> likely contender. The reason that he might get in is that we have a metre-long ballot and he drew the first spot. And usually that means that there is a swing of, you know, if people just go donkey vote, well, fuck yeah, one to six above the line. He's going to get a large portion of the votes. But just he, by default. Just, just by default. Purely by wow. Political luck. Also, he's yeah. got a noticeable name and yeah. you know he's got a well-known name so people will just be like identifying. Darren Hinch Justice Party so he knew Justice Party <laughs> wow. wasn't going to sell enough. Have you heard him speak about it on his radio show? It's uh, I don't really tune in that often to Dar Darren Hinch's no, show. No I gotta Look, say. It's a yeah. favourite pastime. Um, I will say this he smells delightful. We're at the uh, drawing of the ballot, which, I've, if you haven't seen it before, is one You're of the most delightful what, what parts of the What does it smell like? Like a musky, woody, like... Exactly oh, that. Oh, okay. It smells it, like a maybe a bit of Tom Ford. the fan of the Derrick Show. <laughs> um, tell me more. Oh, tell me what it smell like. <laughs> it's really weird when you um, meet, like, like, public figures and you figure out or you notice weird idiosyncrasies about them. Like, yeah, Clinton Bryce had beautifully soft hands. Uh, Danny Nalia, when you take a photo with him, has a very strange habit of just <laughs> running his hand no, and then no, placing no, it no. in the small of your back. I've got, yeah, I'm trying to collect as many that's like photos. A, wow. That's like what people do in possible. the club, like, when they're, like, trying, trying to, to move past like, you, just in the small of your back. <laughs> if Danny Nalia wasn't creepy enough, <laughs> he also touches you in a creepy way. Nice. Yeah. Politics in the Wild <gasps> with Madison. Lisa does spirit drawings. Well, a spirit drawing basically gives you an insight to uh, the energies around you at the time or ones that have been with you and prompting you through your life. Do you know who you're going to vote for? Uh, no. Are you just going to decide on the day? I, I generally do because I do it intuitively. Last election on the... I did. Yes, I know what you were going to ask me then. <laughs> this is who we're asking you to okay. do. Malcolm Turnbull is Australian. Yeah. And that would be why I, um, would you believe, I'm actually picking up a um, Aboriginal. An Aboriginal, okay. Mm. He is, he's actually a very sensitive man. 
I can see the silhouette of this spirit guide over his shoulder. Like right there. So do you know who you're voting for? Malcolm Turnbull. So things are wrapping up at the Melbourne Psychic Expo. We spoke to numerologists, tarot readers. We had a um, vaguely problematic uh, spirit drawing done. But what was very, very clear was that something shifty happened to Harold Holt uh, and that I should not go into politics, ever. We have another segment that we've been trying called You Fix It. We asked for a one-line solution to a complex policy problem. Because that's worked so well that's, for our that's politicians, right? right. Okay. So this week's one is asylum seeker policy. Oh one-line solution. Don't torture them? That's nice. I feel that that should be a reasonable thing that most people could agree to. Yeah, like don't torture. If the government was here, they would be consulting you on how to build like detention camps in space. Ah, mm. oh, that's an interesting solution, yeah. I think is that it would probably viable, be well. Or? It probably isn't too much more expensive than the current solution. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. that's yeah. what I was just about to say. It's pretty if ruinously. If they're willing to firing pay asylum seekers into just, space, yeah, if instead they're willing of to spend this back. much money on torturing people, I'm sure you know the budget is astronomical. Torture is bad, but particularly bad when it's this expensive. And humans are humans. Thanks for listening. You can listen and rate us on iTunes. We've got one more episode next week, so stay tuned. Our guests today were Ruj Amedi, Nevin Sparovska, Alan Duffy. Our vice production team is Katie Roberts, Andrew Kavanagh, Anu Haspel, Dom Juker, Greg Cooper, Heath Armstrong, Ahmed Youssef, Laura Appelt, Alex Watkins, Ben Helwig, Jamie Snyder, May Tuzzler, Madison Connaughton, and Royce Akers. For more of Vice's election coverage, go to vice.com and check out the Vice Guide to the 2016 Australian election.